Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 214, for the 16th of September, 2015. I'm Chester Wisniewski, coming to you from Vancouver this week, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester. Back at home for one's sake. Yeah, yeah. It's not uh, it's not a terribly common thing for me to actually uh, uh, be in town for for very long, but... Uh, Nobody had colonized your office while you were away or anything like that. No, but I, I do get notes left for me on my on my whiteboard, which is quite nice. Uh, I, you know, something that keeps haunting me. I know you and I spoke about this over a month ago when I was going to Black Hat. I mentioned that I temporarily chose to not bring my Android phone because of the stage fright vulnerability. We were kind of unclear at that time about how exploitable it might be. And I thought being surrounded by tens of thousands of hackers may not be the most uh, prudent decision when I have a zero day on my phone. But, you know, I got this update, which actually delayed the podcast today because it took my phone quite a bit of time to power cycle and reboot uh, after applying it that uh, allegedly fixes this. Are, are we in the clear now on stage fright? I mean, there's been quite a bit of press over this. As always, Chester, I think in the Android ecosystem, you've got that problem that you can never be quite sure. I mean, didn't you have that? You and John Shire have the same device on the same network and you got your updates a week apart, didn't you? Yeah, that's that's one of the things. Uh, it's, it, even with this monthly promise from Google on a Nexus device, it's not really clear precisely when you're going to actually get an update. Um, in, in the in the posting I saw on Naked Security, it sounds like because my phone was already modern enough to have address space layout randomization or ASLR, that was providing exactly the mitigation it's supposed to provide, which is it didn't really fix the problem, but it meant I was probably not going to be attacked, right? That's the way I'm reading it. The exploit that was finally published by the company that first discovered this set of vulnerabilities in the Stage Fright library is targeted at a very specific old version of Android, 4.0.4. And it does look as though perhaps one of the reasons they chose this very old version of Android is that it was easier to get around the protections, the additional protections that are built into the operating system. So as you say, ASLR, that's the thing that every time you reboot your phone, the critical parts of the operating system and applications are loaded in slightly different places in memory. So if you have anything memory specific in your exploit, by the time you get it working, it'll probably only work on your test device. Uh, it doesn't always work out that way, of course. Uh, this is still a dangerous vulnerability, but it doesn't look as though it's quite the 950 million androids could fall apart that it was made out to be in the run-up to Black Hat. Well, and I think this will be a recurring theme on the podcast today, which is uh, mitigations and you know understanding them and using them properly, right? So this to me is an example of ASLR mitigating the risk that was far greater before we had ASLR. So like you said, this proof of concept vuln in, in 4.04 is probably significantly more difficult to to uh, uh, exploit in in machines that that use ASLR, which is the point of it. But ASLR doesn't mean we should ignore the vulnerability or the bug. It's simply a mitigation that provides us the time to get a fix in place, so that even if somebody does put the effort into trying to exploit it, hopefully you know we can get the patch out before they figure out how to do so. Absolutely. And there's also the problem that these bugs can be triggered by booby-trapped movie files, MP4 files, where something goes wrong with parsing and processing the file. So even with ASLR, 
you can pretty much get someone to watch a movie and crash an important application on their device. And if that's something that an application that they need to do their job, then basically you have denial of service capability. And worse, when you receive an MMS message on Android, the default behavior of most MMS processors on their operating system is go and fetch the file that the message points to, it's like a sort of a URL, download it and render it automatically in the background. So if you learn nothing else from Stage Fright, I recommend at least going into the Android settings, we show you how to do it on Naked Security, and turn off the auto-retrieve and auto-render of MMS messages. Are, are you suggesting then that things that automatically download things in the background without asking you first when you may have no intention of using what's being downloaded perhaps are a bad idea? Oh, I walked straight into that one, didn't I? You're going to ask me about Microsoft now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I just got back from a, a trip around Europe last week where I was uh, on a very confined data diet, as I call it, uh, where I, I had, you know, a couple hundred megabytes of roaming data that I could use without getting into the multi-thousand dollar phone bill territory. So I was, I was watching my data consumption very carefully. You know, Windows 10 being, quote, free, Microsoft seems quite keen that everybody get on board right away. And this is not going over so well with people who are perfectly happy with Windows 7 and 8, is it? No, because it seems that what they're doing is figuring, hey, you might want to install it at some time in the future. Wouldn't it be nice if it were just sitting there waiting? I'm sure that a few people are delighted to find that they can now just click a button and install Windows 10 immediately without then having to wait for the download. But it seems there are at least as many people who are quite annoyed with the fact that there's this, what they feel as a sort of high pressure exercise to get them to adopt it. But but I think one of the motivations here is security, which is why we're including this topic. I mean, Windows 10 provides better pass the hash mitigations, uh, many improvements, especially in the enterprise side of things for data protection and data management. It's a good thing to move to Windows 10 from a security perspective. And you're also no longer beholden to update Tuesday, right? I mean, you get updates more quickly instead of uh, having to wait for these sort of service packs and big batches of software to come down. I mean, is it really that bad that Microsoft's pushing people forward? I really have to watch my words here. I don't want to offend any listeners. But there was a chap on Naked Security who said, well, this wouldn't be so bad except that it's Microsoft and they've got this big reputation for updates that crash your computer and I want to wait and nobody uses automatic updates. I've had updates in the last couple of years that have been somewhat problematic, but it's a long time since I got an update, automatic or not, that actually crashed my computer. On the other hand, if I go and look at my router logs, not a day has gone by that I haven't seen crooks knocking on the door trying to exploit vulnerabilities that I might not have patched. There is a sense that actually we'll all be better off if people tend to take automatic updates than if they spend weeks, months, years dithering. Well, speaking of doing the right thing, a couple podcasts ago, we mentioned that uh, Ashley Madison had appeared to have done the right thing by using Bcrypt to store the stolen passwords uh, that, that were eventually pilfered by criminals. And it turns out they kind of did the right thing, but maybe left a little behind. And it's my understanding that uh, there was some legacy storage of those passwords potentially as well, if they hadn't been changed. And <laughs> yes, indeed. As I quipped on Naked Security, we hashed them once, we hashed them twice. 
uh, you can imagine what I'm trying to say here. Uh, passwords were hashed with bcrypt. Uh, one guy who tried to attack them found that he could do, he, he got through something like 4,000 passwords in about a week because of the incredible cost of trying to guess each bcrypted password. Unfortunately, a significant number of passwords were actually hashed the old way and the new way. And the old way was a single loop of MD5. And uh, a collective of crackers were able to get through 11 million passwords in 10 days. Well, I I guess the good thing is it points out some of the complexity here. And maybe this can be a wake-up call for other web developers to be sure to uh, expunge anything like that that they may have done in their applications from from the database for sure. Absolutely. And Chester, an excellent reminder that in cryptography, it's often, perhaps usually, not the algorithm that gets found to have a flaw or gets cracked. It was simply that the implementation was badly done. Now, in law enforcement news, uh, I was a little surprised by the story about uh, police tracking uh, MAC addresses of Wi-Fi devices to find stolen goods. And, and when I initially saw the, the headline, I thought, huh, well, that, you know, that's rather clever. I mean, it's not really any different than driving around the neighborhood and looking for a blue 1999 Ford Focus with the plight 123 ABC, right? I mean, you're, you're using your observational skills to look for a series of things that you know identify a, 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 stolen, a piece of stolen property and, and using that to hopefully find the perpetrators and recover the stolen property. Uh, what's the controversy here? For some people, at least some readers on Naked Security, I don't know why, they were uneasy with this, saying, oh, but this is like surveillance. You know, the cops are going out and, and kind of spying on us all. And my response is, if they'd collected the MAC address and then forgot to cut the packets off and collected packet payloads as well, like Google did in the infamous Street View fiasco, then, yes, you'd have a case to say really shouldn't be doing that. But the idea of just driving around and waiting, if you like, passively for a stolen object to, to flag itself as nearby, I thought it's a great idea. Unfortunately, because it involves keeping track of wireless signals, it did press the wrong buttons with some people, which is almost a sort of marketing problem that law enforcement has at the moment. Well, yeah, I was just thinking that, uh, you know, the old phrase, uh, I'm with the government, I'm here to help is a bit of a joke. Yet, uh, in this case, of course, it sounds like law enforcement doing what they can to, to help victims and crack down on, on property crime. And, you know, the, the final story here is about GCHQ, which a lot of people are rather uncomfortable with after many of the, the Snowden uh, leaks uh, from a couple years back. They actually are here to help. In this case, GCHQ has published a document on password advice, which is one of the probably the most frequently asked things that comes up with me when I'm traveling at public events, when I'm talking to journalists, there's always a question about passwords and how we can replace them and what people should do. And and the document from GCHQ sort of hits the nail on the head with precisely what the current challenges are with passwords and exactly what you should do. I agree, Chester. Uh, It is called Simplifying Your Approach, Password Guidance. It doesn't just say thou shalt do this. It says Here's why the following tips actually make sense. And here's why it's probably actually a bad idea if you don't do them. And the thing I like the most about it is almost all the points they make, and they make them very succinctly, very powerfully, 
are things that you and I have said many times before on Naked Security. So we agree with GCHQ and GCHQ agrees with us. When you really think about who is best to provide advice on how to secure something, the people whose job it is to break into other people's things ought to know pretty well what you need to do to secure them. The SE Linux project, of course, is uh, largely derived from NSA recommendations and NSA contributed code. The internet, an ARPA project for a reliable and robust network. Precisely. Tor from the US Navy. All of our current encryption standards on which we rely, you know, ultimately come through organizations like NIST within the U.S. government. So uh, have a look at it, folks. If you've got, you know, if, you, if you've ever disagreed with our advice, perhaps GCHQ maybe says a little more succinctly in their document and might win you over. Chester, just before you finish, probably ought to say that it's not, it's not just GCHQ's document. It was a, a, a sort of joint effort together with a thing in the UK called CPNI, the Centre for the Protection of the National Infrastructure. Now, normally when you hear something like national infrastructure, you think about, you know, massive multinational organisations, government ministries, uh, power utilities, that sort of thing. So I think it's great to see that an organisation whose remit is national infrastructure is actually now helping reach out to everybody, including home users, including small businesses, recognizing that we are all part of our own nation's IT infrastructure and saying, this is how we can all help ourselves and at the same time make a difference to everybody else. Yeah. And and when you see stories about uh, things that concern you uh, about some of these agencies, always remember that there's there's lots of different uh, missions that these these folks are involved in. And often it is about protection of our infrastructure and protection of our citizenry. Don't always uh, take such a negative look on on some of these uh, three and four letter acronyms. Uh, Sometimes there's a lot of good to be contributed. And on that note, I'm going to conclude Sofa Security Chat Chat 214. As always, the latest security news is available over at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available via RSS on the TuneIn app, on iTunes, or at soundcloud.com slash sofasecurity. Until next time, stay secure.